we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for April 6, 2014. And the next thing we're going to do is play a, oh, it's about a 15-minute video regarding the Noah movie deception put out by Joe Schimmel. And he just tends to put out really top-notch videos. This is really no exception. Goes through, gives you a good brief synopsis of the glaring uh, problems with this blasphemous movie that uh, that just came out. So let's go ahead and we'll we'll get into that. from goodfight.org. Did you know that Noah was a liberal, eco-warrior, and the world's first environmentalist? Did you know that Noah was really an uncaring, dark, axe-wielding murderer? Did you know that Noah threatened to kill his eldest son's wife and her unborn daughter because he didn't want the earth to be repopulated? Did you know that Noah's really old pal, Methuselah, was a witch doctor who helped guide Noah spiritually? Did you know that Noah enlisted the help of Satan's fallen angels to protect him while building the ark? What? You didn't know all these things? Were you not listening in Sunday school as a child? Did you skip the book of Genesis when reading your Bible? Of course you didn't know all this, because it's all untrue. Many, if they watched the movie after viewing Paramount's misleading trailer and their bogus claim on their Noah movie website that, quote, is true to the essence values, and integrity of the story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide. Well, if you still go see the movie, you're going to be in for a really rude awakening. The colossal movie... So they lie right off the bat and say that this is true. Of course, I know then they came out with something that said, well, we've used some artistic license in this film. This thing is so far from the Bible, from the biblical account, that, I mean, it's just, it's just really couldn't be classified as anything but just a blasphemous, heretical piece of garbage. Maker Paramount ended up in a huge conundrum after press reviews of the initial previews of the Noah film revealed that it was not true to the biblical narrative. Indeed, Noah director Darren Aronofsky seems to promote Antichrist, Gnostic elements in his other movies and approaches the Noah story as a great fable. Aronofsky admitted, quote, I don't think it's a very religious story. I think it's a great fable. That's part of many different religions and spiritual practices, end quote. Making things even worse for Paramount was the FTC's revelation that the results of a 5,000-person survey found that 98% of Christian consumers would have no interest in seeing a movie about Noah if it was not biblically based. Paramount, worried about losing their whopping $160 million investment, sought to draw Christians into spending their money by claiming it was true to Scripture. Because, you see, subverting Christianity is hip in Hollywood, but it's not so hip if your director loses your almost $200 million investment in the process. Regarding reports like 98% of Christians would not see the Noah movie if it was not truly biblically based, Aronofsky arrogantly responded, quote, I don't give an F about the test scores. My films are outside the scores, end quote. For those Christians who may be deluded into believing that the Noah movie will be truly biblical, Aronofsky, who has a penchant for dropping F-bombs when talking about Noah, admitted of the movie, quote, anything you're expecting, you're effing wrong, end quote. And, quote, Noah is the least biblical, biblical film ever made, end quote. And this is the guy that made the movie, okay, saying these just foul-mouthed devil quotes about his own movie, okay? 
you know, kind of a problem there. Paramount grew even more concerned when screeners, quote, questioned the film's adherence to the Bible story and reacted negatively to the intensity and darkness of the lead character, end quote. Aronofsky has so twisted the story of Noah that righteous Noah is cast as a somewhat evil character. Aronofsky told The Guardian, quote, he's a dark, complicated character. While The New Yorker claimed that Paramount had cut a more biblically-based edition of the movie, the edition was subsequently scrapped, and Aronofsky's least biblical ever movie seems to have won the day. Aronofsky boasted, quote, my version of the film was green-lighted. And tragically, the Hollywood Reporter stated that, quote, Paramount is fully supporting his version of the Noah story. Add to this the fact that Russell Crowe, who is playing Noah in the film, denigrated Noah as a callous, uncaring person who had no love for humanity and couldn't care less if the world perished. According to Crowe's words, it seems as though Noah will be depicted in the film as an evil, uncaring man. Listen to Crowe in his own words. The funny thing with, with people, then, you know, they, they consider Noah to be a, a benevolent figure, Because right? he looked after the animals. Oh, Noah, Noah and the animals. It's like, kidding me? This is the dude that stood by and watched the entire population of the planet perish. He's not benevolent. Right? He's not even, he's not even nice. You know what I mean? At one point in the story, his son says, you know, I thought you were chosen because you were good. And he goes, I was chosen because I can get the job done, mate. <laughs> so I think people are going to be uh, judging from where their questions come from. I think they're going to be quite surprised what Noah actually really means, what it means to be in that position. So this is the world according to Satan. Okay, so now we just have this devil Russell Crowe giving us a Bible study. On what Noah is. It's almost like the movie is produced so it makes it so about Noah when the biblical narrative of Noah is nothing like what they're portraying in this film. Is Noah an evil, uncaring man? Absolutely not. When we look at the evidence, God's word makes it crystal clear that Noah was a righteous man. Genesis chapter 6 verses 8 and 9 says, quote, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God, end quote. God's word tells us that Noah was a loving man because Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 declares that faith works through love. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Noah was a man of faith. And I quote, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith, end quote. Did Noah sit idly by, without even caring for or warning the wicked? Again, untrue. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 tells us that Noah was, quote, a preacher of righteousness. Preachers of God's word warn people to repent so that they can be saved and delivered from the wrath to come. However, like ravenous dogs consumed by rabies that are bent on destruction, so the unrepentant wicked who are hell-bent on evil can only be condemned in the end. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that the world at that time was filled with violence, sexual perversion, and that people's thoughts were only evil continually. Which is why I'm already sick of seeing the ads for this floating piece of giraffe Aronofsky and Crow are not the only ones using the Noah movie as an occasion to impugn the character of God. The notoriously arrogant and spiteful atheist Bill Maher has used the movie as a rallying point to blaspheme his maker. Hey God, you know you're kind of a dick when you're in a movie with Russell Crowe and you're the one with anger issues. <laughs>
Maher, like Aronofsky, butchers and twists the Noah story to make a false allegation against God by claiming that God punished everybody for the wickedness of a few, when in fact the scriptures make it quite clear in Genesis chapter 6 verse 12 that, quote, all the people on earth have corrupted their ways, end quote. What kind of tyrant punishes everyone just to get back at the few he's mad at? Ironically, Bill Maher condemns the Creator for judging the evil and wickedness of his creatures, even though God alone has the divine right and the just duty to do so, while Mar himself, a little creature, wants to see countless people killed. But the thing that's really disturbing about Noah isn't the silly. It's that it's immoral. It's about a psychotic mass murderer who gets away with it, and his name is God. Mars' hypocrisy is absolutely chilling when he claims that he would like to see countless people killed to help alleviate what he believes to be the problem of overpopulation. I'm consistently pro-death. My motto is, let's kill the right people. <laughs> I'm pro-choice. I'm for assisted suicide. I'm for regular suicide. I'm for whatever gets the freeway moving. The planet is too crowded, and we need to promote death. Kill the right people. But I, I'm just not one of those people who thinks all life is precious. You know, I, I bet you a lot of people wouldn't say that, but if you're pro-choice, maybe that's really what you're thinking. I'm really trying to just keep my mouth shut because I, I don't want to really add my comments because they're probably not going to be very Christian. Uh, <clears throat> after hearing Bill Maher, mm, oh boy, boy, he needs the fear of God. He really needs the fear of God. Everything that pretty much comes out of that guy's mouth regarding anything of a, uh, I don't know, what he would construe as a religious nature is always blasphemous. It's always evil. And um, here we're getting a morality ethics lesson from Satan, from Bill Maher. You know, he, he's for all this death stuff, but he thinks that he's in a position where he has the audacity that he can judge God and his... Uh, his motivations for why Genesis 6 had to happen. All flesh was corrupted in those days, okay? The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took them wives, all that they chose. And a byproduct of that was the Nephilim, or the giants, the men of old, the men of renown, okay? Not fully human, not fully fallen angel. They corrupted the whole world. It says in Genesis 6, 5, And God saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination or thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's not like God set out to want to do this, okay? He didn't have a choice, because the seed of mankind was almost totally corrupted at that point due to this commingling of fallen angel DNA with human DNA. And Jesus Christ didn't come to save Nephilim. He didn't come to save some hybrid race, some abomination that God never intended it to be. So in order to preserve the bloodline, it had to be Noah you know, and and the the people on the ark in order to get that done. That's the only way that the bloodline and the DNA that was uncorrupted of mankind could be saved. That's why this had that's why they took the animals as well, because I believe the animals had even been defiled at that point. And what are they doing today? Well, it says as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the covenant of son of man. Well they're defiling the plants through GE, genetic engineering, they're defiling the animals they're commingling species, they're commingling DNA, they're creating all of these abominations 
So it's the same exact thing. It's just a different angle that they're doing it. They're doing it under the guise of science and betterment of all this garbage. And back then, I just think it was more in your face. It said then in, in Genesis 6, 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart because he didn't want it to be this way. But then it says, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. They had been defiled. Okay, for the most part, I believe that, you know, 99%, 99.99 probably percent of all things on earth had been defiled. Probably at that point, even DNA had been defiled. And um, you had no choice. And then it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And um, Noah was a just man, perfect in generations, and Noah walked with God. Um, and so... The earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way on earth. It's like a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Okay, The leaven had permeated through humanity and thanks to these fallen angels that had fallen and come down and procreated with women, the whole world. And that was Satan's plan. That's why he wanted that to happen. Because, you know, if he could wipe out humanity, then Satan views it like, I win. The, the promised coming savior that would bruise Satan's head from Genesis 3, that, that would be irrelevant if there was no mankind to save. If there was no savior to save mankind. So Satan figured, well, if I can corrupt everybody on planet Earth and corrupt all the DNA and wipe man out, then there's, there's no one that can come, there's no savior that can come through a bloodline that has been defiled. The bloodline had to be kept pure. That was what it was all about. It was really the most, at that point, it was the only merciful thing God could have done. What was, what was, the, what was the other choice? Okay, well, let them all corrupt, and then let them destroy Noah and, and his sons and their wives, and then there's not, nothing left, and then, you know, no. It's not going to happen. God wasn't going to let Satan derail his plan for humanity and have Jesus Christ come through, you know, the bloodline of, of an undefiled DNA. Um, so that that's what this is really all about. So anyway, let's uh, let's go back to this. Ironically, Bill Maher is promoting the same kind of evil culture of murder and death that invited God's judgment of the flood in the first place. It's also not very surprising that Maher is not setting the example and volunteering to be the first to die. Incredibly, as uncaring and as dark as Aronofsky and Crow said that Noah would be portrayed, they actually made... Now remember, Bill Maher said we need to kill the right people. See, people like him, demon-possessed devils like him will be the ones that determine who the right people are. Even though they're going to burn in the lake of fire for eternity. Hell and then, the, and then the lake of fire. They're the ones that believe they have the moral high ground where they can decide who are the right people to kill and the ones that can live. And as the Georgia Guidestone states, they want to reduce world population to 500 million. So you're looking at anywhere between a 90 to 95% reduction is where what they're after. God himself looked even more evil. 
In fact, Noah is led to believe that God intended to eliminate every human being and not allow any humans to repopulate the earth. And Noah even attempts to murder his two baby granddaughters. God even uses the animals to help Noah pull off the dastardly deed. This is what they do in the movie. They try to portray Noah this way so that you'll have nothing but hate for biblical characters that are actually righteous. So that we'll have contempt and hatred for the word of God. I mean, people understand why it's so important to have a Bible you can trust and go by that. Not a corrupted Bible, not like the NIV and all of these other Bibles that have been corrupted through corrupt Catholic manuscripts that were based on, you know, terrible translations that were corrupted from the from the very beginning. You know, again, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So... You know, they're, they're taking it so much further than that. They're, they're just basically giving whatever spin on the Bible they think is going to sell the most movie tickets and the ones that are going to make you hate God the most. Because that's what this movie's about. Making you hate God and, uh, biblical righteous characters of the Bible. That's what it's really about. Because then if you could, if you do that, if you hate God, and you hate for the people, righteous people in the Bible, well then, you're not going to want to follow that. You're not going to have any compulsion to do that. You're not going to have any compulsion to look into it further. So that, I think that's a big reason that this movie came out. With screenwriter Brian Godawa writes, quote, Most of the last half of the script is a family killer thriller, like sleeping with the enemy. But in the end, he, speaking of Noah, fails. He says to himself, to the creator, I can't, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. He is just too compassionate to carry out God's cruel plan. Noah is more loving than God, end quote. Thus, as evil and callous as Noah is portrayed, Aronofsky portrays God as even worse. Was God uncaring and unmerciful during the days of Noah? Absolutely not. In fact, we are not only told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness to the lost, but that God's spirit strove with the incorrigible and unrepentant wicked for 120 years before the flood. Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 says, quote, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years, end quote. We are further told in God's word, the Bible, that this striving against man's sin was owing to God's patience or the, quote, long-suffering of God toward the wicked, who were continually grieving his heart by their perverse and murderous behavior. First Peter says, quote, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. One of the most repeated truths throughout all of Scripture is the declaration that, quote, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11 says, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live, turn, turn from your evil ways, while you die, people of Israel, end quote. So according to the only reliable and ancient testimony we have of Noah, Russell Crowe's version of Noah is all wet, and Russell Crowe has to eat crow. Aronofsky's portrayal of God as evil or unmerciful in the movie Noah should not shock us. Part of the agenda in many Hollywood is to manufacture atheists and Satanists and turn the masses against the one true God, our creator. In our eye-popping video, Hollywood's War on God, we document the Gnostic Satanic themes of inverting God and Satan in many of Hollywood's most popular movies. 
The early church's greatest enemy was the Gnostics, who Satan used to rewrite the biblical narrative to portray God as Satan and Satan as God. Long before portraying both God and Noah in a dark light, Aronofsky imported Gnostic elements into his other movies. For instance, in our article, The Noah Movie Deception and the Last Days, at our goodfight.org site, we expose Gnostic and Satanic themes in Aronofsky's movies, The Fountain, Black Swan, and Pi. It is hard to overestimate the colossal role that Hollywood has played in plunging the world down a dark, immoral spiral that is corrupting the world, families, and morals. Jesus Christ warned that in the last days, the world would once again be like it was in the days of Noah, just before the flood. Jesus prophesied in Matthew chapter 24, quote, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Jesus warned in the same chapter, quote, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of the most will grow cold. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that God flooded the earth because it was filled with violence, sexual perversion, and the thoughts of humans were only evil continually. Today we are certainly seeing the second coming of the days of Noah transpire before our very eyes. Dear friend, God doesn't want you to go to hell. Just as Jesus warned that the last days would be like it was in the days of Noah, God has also provided an ark for the safety of you and your family in these last days. Noah and the ark were a glorious typological or prophetic picture foreshadowing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, an ark that God had before time ordained to save us from the final judgment. Noah's family was saved because of God's incredible mercy and grace. Just as there was only one door into the ark, so Jesus is the one and only door and the ark of salvation that God has provided to save us from the fire of God's wrath to come. Jesus Christ himself said, quote, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't wait until it's too late. Just as countless people must have rushed to the ark after the door was shut and sought to get in before the floodwaters rose above their heads, so many will wait until it's too late to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Tragically, they will be overtaken by the eternal wrath of God because they waited too long. Jesus warned that it will be just like it was in the days of Noah for those who wait too long to enter into the door of salvation. Jesus said, and I quote, But unless you repent, you will all perish. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. I do apologize, he's not using KJV. But I think, though, the theme of what what he's trying to convey, I don't want to cut that out, because obviously it's, really the most important thing regarding a movie like this is actually trying to use this information, straighten people out and actually use the information to get people saved. Be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Dear friend, we plead with you to turn from the road to destruction and cry out in faith to Jesus Christ for a saving grace. There is no work you could do to save yourself from the coming judgment. You must repent or turn from your evil rebellion against God and embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to be saved. He alone died for all your sins and He alone can save you from the wrath that we all deserve. Just as God used His creation of a beautiful rainbow as a symbol of his covenant not to flood the earth again. So the book of Revelation states that God's throne is surrounded by an emerald rainbow. 
also promises that after the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to judge the world with fire, He will create a glorious new heaven and new earth for those who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. His word states there will no longer be any pain or sorrow or tears forever. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, right after it stated that people are willingly ignorant of the fact that God flooded the earth and that next time he'll judge the world with fire and that he's not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance and be saved, that quote, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in our holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. End quote. The Ark of Salvation is waiting for you. Jesus' arms are wide open and he promised, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do it now before it's too late. Don't dare gamble with your eternal soul. The odds are too great. The stakes are too high, and eternity is far too long. We want to encourage you to get the word out and flip the script on the devil by taking this opportunity and what Satan meant for evil through the Noah movie to share with others who God really is and how salvation comes through faith in Christ. We want to encourage you to share this video everywhere. We also want to invite you to become Good Fight's friend on Facebook. And go to goodfight.org and explore our theater and our various articles and resources. We want to thank you for joining us. May God richly bless you as you seek his face. So I, I provided um, uh, a link to my teaching also. Uh, he, I've got a link to his site, to his video that we just listened to, and then also to my teaching on salvation. If you're not sure about uh, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a, you can either go to my site, contendingfortruth.com, click on True Salvation, or in the PDF for April 6, 2014, I have the, uh, the link to that teaching here and uh you can avail yourself to that so anyway I, I wanted to i've had a lot of people ask me about the noah movie deception i think he did a really good job of summing things up it's it's just a blasphemous blasphemous uh, uh piece of work <laughs> okay so let's go further question from a listener named joshua he said i hope you can help me with a question that has come across to me i don't want to question our lord on any matter but i would love to have a response to someone in the future for this question. The question is, why would God let someone be born that he knows will end up in hell? Wouldn't it be better for that person to have never been born at all? Uh, do these questions have to do with everyone's free will to love the Lord? I have my assumptions on the answers, but I would be grateful if you could possibly try to explain this to me. <clears throat> now, this is also pertinent because we just were talking about Noah and God having to wipe the whole world out in a flood and, um, the, uh, like I said, I really believe, and in, in I think the Bible would support that, that all flesh had been corrupted, okay? It had been defiled. Literally, the DNA had been defiled. And remember what I keep saying is that it's all about the DNA. That's what I believe these vaccines are about, um, trying to taint our DNA. I believe that there's all kind of things they're trying to do to bring curses on ourselves. You know, culturing vaccines off aborted babies and injecting them into the body. Um, PepsiCo making products with aborted fetal cell lines as flavor enhancers. Things like that. They're trying to constantly get us to bring ourselves under curses. Now, I'm not saying that 
just uh, um, uh, that's going to all of those things are going to defile your DNA. I do believe the vaccines can because if you're injecting foreign DNA directly into the bloodstream, I don't know what kind of ramifications that could have, but it's not something I want to take a chance on. Um, you put, in other words, you put foreign DNA in a needle, inject it into your system. Um, I don't know what kind of cross-combining, what kind of uh, satanic chicanery can happen internally from something like that. So Satan's about defiling our DNA. Satan's about getting us into hell is really what it boils down to. And then you also have the um, the Bible verses that talk about um, like this. I, I, this is my response. I said, I have broached this subject many times, but it boils down to this. Proverbs 16.4, which says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now I say, I don't understand this concept either. But this is why I believe the Bible says, Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? And then, uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see through a glass darkly. So now, meaning while we're on earth, we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, meaning I believe when we're in heaven, now I know in part... So see, even though we can study the Bible and, 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 and know a lot of these things and, and be at a high knowledge level, we're still always, to a certain extent, only going to know in part. Particularly in compared to God's wisdom, which is infinite. Okay, uh, But then, meaning I believe when we're in heaven, we shall know, uh, that, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So, God's ways are higher than our ways. We know in part, we see through a glass darkly, uh, the Bible says, God has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And I think these other two verses would, would kind of help to not so much make sense, but to kind of help understand. We're not going to always know uh, the answer to every single biblical question. Um, and I think the Bible's clear on that as well. So, his ways are higher than our ways. And these are things that, you know... The, the, the parable of the wheat and tares, that, that the wheat and the tares grow up together. And again, I've said this before, but there's nothing a weed can do to ever make it become wheat. There's, there's nothing that I know of where you can transform a weed into wheat. And, and a, a weed is a weed is a weed, wheat is a wheat is a wheat. And, and those are, are symbolic of, you know, uh, born-again Bible-believing Christians and the wicked. Okay? And there's this analogy that's made many, many times in scriptures. And then Hebrews talks about that they're vessels of wrath fitted or prepared ahead of time for God's destruction. Fitted means prepared ahead of time for God's destruction. The, the wicked people. Vessels of wrath. So, certain people would say, well, that's not fair in this and that. But again, God's ways are higher than our ways. And, and there's certain things that you know we're just never going to fully comprehend or understand until... Um, uh, when we see him face to face, like the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And then we'll know, not in part anymore. Okay, we'll get the full picture. We'll be able to comprehend it fully. So, now I've also talked about this concept in the teaching I did on indigo and star children exposed. And I give you the links here for these. Because 
that's been a big new age buzzword for the past 10 years. Indigo children, star children, crystal children, dolphin children, all of these children that are supposedly being born with all of these new age, clairvoyant abilities that none of them ever seem to ever bring anyone close to Jesus Christ or point to Jesus Christ. They seem to point to a, you know, a heightened, um, uh, like, I really believe a lot of that's going to figure into the whole thing of us being as gods, the, the big lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden, of, of, of our genetic, the next rung on the uh, step of genetic evolution for mankind, to take us from the age of Aquarius, or the age of Pisces, into the age of Aquarius, to take us from the old world order into the new world order. So I talk a lot about this concept in that teaching. It's a three-part teaching. I give you the links all here uh, on page 9 of the PDF for April 6, 2014. And then here's another question, actually really more of an attack on me, by a listener named Carl. He says, let me give you an analogy. My, if salvation is a new car given freely upon repentance, then works are the fuel that keep the car running. You tell people who have got this new car that they don't need fuel to purchase it. What's the point? They still need the fuel to keep it running. Worse, you tell them that even when they purchase any fuel, it's no good. Filthy rags. The result... Sooner or later, they are going to stop purchasing fuel and the car will fall into disrepair and become useless. And then he goes on to accuse me of all other manner of, of garbage. And my, my response in part is that you're twisting my words. I have said many times that good works should always follow salvation and that we will bear good fruit from our conversion. It's not just, it's just not to trust in the good works to save you. Okay, like 99% of the people out there do in whatever religion they may follow. That's why I tend to emphasize that more, because it's, it's such a bigger problem. I mean, think about it. There's only two religions in the world. There's all your isms, Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, and Confucianism, and whatever other. Okay, all of those believe that you are going to get to wherever you're trying to get to, meaning nirvana, heaven... Paradise, some instances hell, through your good works. Okay, so that concept is going to take the vast majority of people to hell. That one concept. So it's a much bigger problem worldwide. Once you get someone saved, that's a whole other different deal. Okay, but I tend to emphasize the other because so many do trust in their good works, okay? Or I tend to bring it up more in uh, conversations. So, in other words, that a much bigger problem overall, meaning trusting in your good works to get you into heaven, nirvana, paradise, hell, etc., than good works following salvation of a true born-again Christian. Now, this is a very important subject, though, and just because I mention a point in passing and don't cover every aspect of that point, as I've done so many other times, does not mean I don't teach what you're accusing me of. So, he's making this blanket condemnation of me, like I've never taught, ever, that good works would follow salvation. Okay? What I try to do, though, is is to get people to understand that good works are not what save you. If you're trusting in your good works, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, faith in Jesus Christ is how you're saved. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves, 
you know, so the, this is this is the concept, okay, not of works lest any man should boast. So we just don't want to put the cart before the horse. Now, let's look at this, though. Let's look at the different Bible verses that talk about both sides of the coin here. So it's not like I'm just presenting one side of this where, where you know, we're just talking about faith. Let's talk about works, too. Okay, so let's look at some Bible verses. Uh, Romans 3.27 where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but of the law of faith. In other words, you don't boast in your works, ever. Okay? And the verse that I quote with Isaiah 64, 6, I believe, where it talks about, you know, that the, uh, the works are as filthy rags. Okay? Um, okay, so let's get specific. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean and unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as doth a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Okay, now I'm not saying a righteous person, a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, who is not trusting in his own works for salvation. I'm not saying their works are as a filthy rag. I'm talking to the people that are trusting in their works, and God would be talking to them as well from this Bible verse, saying that if you think your works are going to get you into heaven. Guess what? They're a filthy rag in my sight. And we're an unclean thing. Why? Because we haven't been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We haven't been washed by the water of the word. Okay, so again, it's important to have biblical balance here. It's all I'm trying to, to really create, biblical balance. Let's look at both sides of the coin here. Okay, Romans 9.32. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Okay, so when you don't, when you don't seek true salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, or by the works of the law, you're going to stumble. Okay, you're not going to attain salvation. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's truly how, that's the bedrock of how we're justified. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Period. Okay? So, we're justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.2 this only what I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Obviously, we received it by the hearing of faith. Okay? Uh, Galatians 3.5 He, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Well, obviously, it's by the hearing of faith. Okay? Um, now, Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And of faith toward God. So, again, trying to build a perspective here. Now, James switches gears radically and starts talking about kind of the opposite side of the coin, okay? But remember, we need to be able to biblically balance all scripture together, okay? 
And so James says, even so faith, if it hath not works, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Okay, so in other words, works should definitely follow as a result of your conversion. Okay, so yeah, absolutely. I'm not arguing that point whatsoever. Um, And then James 2.18, Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Just, But in this context, it is a person with true faith that can show them his faith by his works. Okay, Most of the time, you go to a Catholic, well, see, look at all that I've done. That's, that's works. That's trusting in your works. Your faith is in your works. It's not in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in his death, burial, and resurrection, his shed blood on the cross. It's not in that. Okay? So, understand, there's a big difference there. It's it's a literal heaven and hell difference that you get that right. Okay? James 2.22 Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? So, faith was wrought, meaning it was a byproduct. It, it brought forth good works. Okay? And by works was faith made perfect. Okay, so because fruit was produced from the faith in the form of works, the faith was made perfect. You see how this is harmonizing things? Not conflict, because see, I get people like this guy that's accusing me of all this stuff. He just wants to focus on these verses and interpret them within the context of maybe James. And not look outside when there's all kind of other verses that talks about faith and and you're say by grace through faith and that none of yourselves you know all of these other verses that I just quoted okay we need to be able to harmonize them all to have biblical balance now let's go further James two twenty four then says ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only okay he doesn't say by works a man is justified and he stops there in the verse he says and not by faith only. So, see, faith is the way that you are, the bedrock of our justification. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? But the works that follow the faith is also a justification. But it's not how we get saved. Okay? It's literally evidence of the faith. Okay? Hopefully I'm making sense of this. Anyway, let's go further here. James 2.26 For as the body without the spirit is dead... So, faith without works is dead also. Meaning, if you say, you know, wow, I'm, I've got all this faith, and, and then you see no fruit from the person, no good fruit, none. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, you're saying one thing, but actions speak louder than words. You know what I mean? If it's a true faith, it will produce true, godly, good works, is, is the point there. So, let's go further. Um... Galatians 5.22. Okay, so let's look at some of the fruit uh, that we should see. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So these are some of the things that would fall under the um, classification of, of, um, of things that are produced from a true faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, um, This is the fruit of the Spirit. These are things also that you should see. Okay, not just good works, 
but these as well. These would fall under that classification. Then we go further and it says, and above all things, have fervent charity. Now, remember I defined what charity was. I think it was in the last teaching. It's like basically the highest, most complete definition and embodiment of all aspects of love. Okay? It's not taking a, uh, donations and dropping them off at the Red Cross or whatever. Charity, that way. It's the highest embodiment of biblical love. And all that it encompasses. Okay? Um, so, and above all, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, I believe what that means is that when you, when you exercise the highest embodiment of Christian love toward other people, sins they may have committed, that maybe they were going to commit, don't get committed because you've touched their lives. Like that guy I talked about earlier, uh, Bobby, the, that he was going to commit suicide that night. He was he was there, and I mean that was it. This this was the night it, the, it was going to go down. He didn't kill himself as a result of God putting me there in that particular spot on that particular day, and then that night me counseling him and the Holy Spirit working through me. He didn't commit that sin. That sin never happened of suicide because suicide's murder. He's murdering himself, and we're not supposed to murder. Okay, so that sin never happened. Was I being charitable in, in my, I think I was. I mean, I mean I'm not saying I'm perfect, but, but I think the Lord put me there. And praise God, I was there, and it was a pleasure, and it wasn't, it wasn't like I was doing it begrudgingly. I mean, I, mean, I love that stuff. <laughs> that whole thing, being able to destroy that voodoo witch wand and, and, and just do all, I mean, that was, that was awesome. That was, that was not a burden, that was, that was a joy is all it was to me. God used that. Um, and I, I, I probably is bad to use myself as an example because it looks self-serving, but I'm just saying, we just did talk about that. So there, there's, there's a multitude of examples of Christians that are way, way, way better than me that you could use those examples to say, okay, look, all of this loving Christian charity that they maybe devoted their life to, to helping and blessing others, because they did that, that prevented so many sins from happening that would have other likewise happened without that person being there and the Holy Spirit working through them. That's the point. Okay? Hopefully I conveyed that properly. Because it's a little complex, that verse. It's, 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 um, it's a little complex. So then... We go to 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? That everyone may receive the things done in his body. Now, we all, meaning Christians, okay? The the people that are unsaved go to the great white throne judgment. They get either, uh, basically, they're going to get pulled out of hell and go to the great white throne judgment well, where they will then be cast into the lake of fire. Okay? You're, you don't want to be at the great white throne judgment. <laughs> Because you're, you're not going to pass the test, okay? You're going to go to the lake of fire. So we, as born-again Christians, go to the judgment seat of Christ, which is totally different, okay? That everyone may receive the things done in his body. These are these works that are talked about, that follow faith. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, okay? Now, let's elaborate on that a little bit more, Um 1 Corinthians 
3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if a man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work, this is the works, okay? Every man, and this is the work of a born-again Bible-believing Christian that made it to the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Every man's work, shall be made manifest. Okay, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. What would wood, hay, stubble be? Works that you did with some type of self-centered intent. Maybe to be seen among men. Maybe um, because you got some benefit. Maybe because you were going to be praised of men. Maybe you had some hidden agenda. Who knows? I don't know. Okay, that's between you and God. But think about it. Wood, hay, stubble are burned up. Whereas gold, silver, precious stones, if they are, if, if heat is, is applied to them, the, it only refines them. They don't get burned up. What would those types of works be? Well, I mean, I, I'm thinking that works where you have no hidden agenda other than to, than to just truly show Christ-like love to an individual. You know what I mean? Not to be seen of men, None of that. No self-centered intent. God knows your heart. We can't hide it. You know, we can't hide that from God. And that's why it says that for the day shall declare it. So every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day, the day that you go to the judgment seat of Christ, the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So all of our works, including me, are going to be tried at the judgment seat of Christ. Either they're going to be gold, silver, precious stones, which will endure, or wood, hay, stubble, which will be burned up. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Okay, well that would have to be gold, silver, precious stones. Those will abide. Okay? If any man's work shall be burned, wood, hay, or stubble, he shall suffer loss... But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now that's not really the way we want to ultimately end up being saved, is yet so as by fire. You're still saved, but the works you did, once you became a born-again Bible-believing Christian, were wood, hay, stubble. And yeah, you'll be saved, but yet so as by fire. Now that doesn't give us a license to sin either. Okay, It's just that, you know... I think it's just good to kind of look at these things um, because we were talking about faith and works and let's really just kind of make a little examination of that whole concept because um, it's not talked about a lot in uh, most churches. So I'm going to go ahead because I'm going to totally switch gears here and we are going to get into the whole Ebola thing going on right now and um, this is going to comprise the last part of the teaching. So I'm going to go ahead and stop here and we are going to go to part... Four, and we'll see you in part four. So God bless you.